We're going to collect our uh, tithes and offerings for this evening as we do. We will transition the young people. There's one being transitioned right now. That's mine. <clears throat> transition the young people. Um, parents, let me uh, remind you the subject tonight is sexual intimacy and the things that surround sexual intimacy. So use your best judgment. Um, I, uh, there's certainly nothing that's inappropriate, mo- not more than usual, I suppose, um, in, in this teaching time. But uh, that is the subject tonight, and um, we will be taking an intimate look at it. So um, our, we do have children's uh, worship for K through 5th grade. Yes, you can take the offering, yes. Um, and we also have a child care for the younger kids. Um, I would encourage, of course, our teenagers and young adults to uh, be present here tonight uh, as this is an important topic for them as well. Remind you that tomorrow, um, although I don't know who's going, but tomorrow we are bowling uh, at 2 o'clock. Okay, the youth are going to be there, so somebody will be there, thankfully. Uh, So 2 o'clock. Um, at Viking Lanes uh, from about 2 to 4. Uh, we also have our foster support group, foster care support group at Christ United Methodist Church at 3 o'clock tomorrow. Um, planning team at 7 on Monday uh, and our upcoming Super Bowl um, party on Super Bowl Sunday. So a lot of good things coming up here in the first part of this year. Let's uh, have a word of prayer and then we will begin. Lord, I thank you for this uh, just wonderful opportunity to gather. We uh, want to just lift up those who are not here because of the weather or um, because of the, uh, just, uh, the environmental uh, hindrances that come across uh, during this time of year. Be with all of us now as we delve into this um, difficult yet uh, necessary subject as we truly try to understand your word in it, your purpose for sexual intimacy in our lives. Just open our hearts and our minds. Allow us to hear a a message that speaks to us where we are in our lives, that we may truly be transformed and renewed, that we may truly experience new life. We pray in this in your holy name. Amen. Well, welcome again to New Life. I'm Pastor Mark, uh, the pastor here. I want to welcome all of those listening online via www.findnewlifeumc.org and through our podcast on iTunes. Of course, all of our teachings are available. If you've missed some of our series, Love to Stay, this is the third week of it. You can always catch up on it online. And I know we have some um, listeners from all over uh, this country and even um, overseas. So kind of a cool ministry that we can be involved in. So there used to be a time, I don't know if it's, it's still that uh, still that case, but there used to be, (coughs) excuse me, a mindset in parenting that at a certain time in the life of your child, you sat them down and you had the talk. Thank you. Somebody was with me on that. You had the talk. Now the joke, which has been played out on every sitcom um, for the last 60 years, is that often the parents are more uncomfortable about the topic than the children. Now you, I, first of all, never had the talk growing up, uh, and I'm sure that's probably the case for many of you here tonight. 
Uh, The difference for me is that my parents talked a lot about sex and still do, much to my discomfort (coughs) and the discomfort of my wife in certain situations. But the real joke is we as Christians get embarrassed by this topic, the topic of sex, when our culture bombards us with sex 24-7. You can't watch TV or go see a movie or listen to music or open a magazine or read the newspaper or even listen to the radio without images or sex-related topics. It's actually hard to remove yourself from the onslaught of sex in our daily lives. I was just driving back in from the northern suburbs this week. And I've noticed it before, but I paid special attention since I knew I was talking about this topic. And I ran into, just about every couple miles, some sexually themed billboard trying to sell me sex and, of course, then get into my pocketbook. My favorite on this particular trip was the Sexy Tide billboard. I'm not sure why sex was involved in my Tide, you know, the washing detergent, but I did think about buying Tide afterwards, so I guess it worked. (coughs) So tonight we're going to have the talk. We're going to try to take a look at the biblical purpose and foundation for sex. We're going to look at some of the information brought up in Love to Stay, the core survey that they did, uh, and also hopefully find some ways to improve Uh, the intimate part of our relationship. Now, the Bible talks a lot about sex, and we're going to focus on some of the purpose and theology behind sex, but beyond that, you are going to find sex throughout the Bible. You're going to find stories of torrid affairs. You're going to find stories of rape, incest, all kinds of horrible things actually depicted by heroes and often in, in many of the stories. One story, which is in the Apocrypha, which is the Uh, Most of our Bibles don't have it, but the Apocrypha is kind of the stories in between the Old Testament and New Testament. And one of the stories in the Apocrypha, Judith, one of my favorite stories, is about a woman who goes out to an invading army's camp, which has uh, kind of taken siege of the city, and actually seduces and sleeps with the army's leader, and then in the middle of the night decapitates him, kills him, thus saving her people. And so we see stories of sex and uh, the importance of sex all throughout Scripture. I believe God knew that this was going to be an important part of our human experience. But God also established early on in Scripture what the purpose of this act and this gift truly is. So I want to look at three (coughs) purposes uh, for sexual intimacy. The first uh, purpose for sexual intimacy is biological in nature. It's the one most of us can guess. It comes from Genesis 1:28, where God says to humanity, be fertile and multiply. This first purpose for sex is to reproduce. Now, as Christians, we tend to think of it a little bit more highly of it than that. We tend to think about it as co-creating with God. Now, I think we can co-create with God in, in any number of ways and shapes and forms, But you have to admit, there's something special and something awesome about the ability to create human life. Yes. (laughs) Now, if you go back in the days of Scripture, and even uh, before the advent of birth control, every sexual encounter could have led to uh, a human life being created, which made uh, the experience of sex something holy, something sacred, and something very important. Now, we know not all couples uh, will or can have children, 
Uh, but this is an undeniable purpose. God made this act of co-creation pleasurable and almost irresistible so that we as a species would continue to want to have more of us around. Now, the second purpose we find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and we talked about this uh, the last couple weeks. For this reason, a man leaves his father and his mother and embraces his wife, and they become one flesh. Sexual intimacy binds us together. It creates an emotional bond that's supposed to deepen our love for one another. Scientifically speaking, during uh, the act of sex, two distinct hormones are released. The first is oxytocin, which is also released while women are giving birth and nursing. And this hormone creates feelings of intimacy, well-being, and security. The second hormone is vasopressin, which actually regulates water retention in our bodies, but is released in short bursts during any kind of social interaction and during sexual situations. This hormone tends to deepen the bonds <clears throat> between individuals and increases affection between partners. So sex, biblically and scientifically, those two do work sometimes together, uh, creates a special bond between two individuals. Finally, uh, we see the purpose for sex having to do with the knowledge we have of one another. In Genesis 4.1 we read, The man Adam knew his wife Eve intimately. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Now the Hebrew word yada, which means to know, is a euphemism used for sex throughout Scripture. Uh, and I think that's very intentional. In Genesis it says Adam and Eve were naked, but they were not ashamed. In the act of sex there's something vulnerable and intimate that occurs. And, and it can truly allow us to open up to our partner as we're kind of putting everything on the table. Now, we believe through the act of sex, we can come to know each other in a deep and personal way that hopefully is only shared with our partner. This makes sex a beautiful and profound thing. Unfortunately, in our world, we've trivialized sex in a lot of different ways. It's become more about pleasure or stress release or just being actually another activity we do throughout the week. Yes, it's still kind of lifted up and even in, in movies and TV kind of made to be this kind of magical and wonderful thing, but it's certainly not talked about as something special enough to wait until you're married or something special enough to wait for one person to engage with. And I won't ask for hands, but I imagine many of us here were somewhat sexually active before we were married. And many of us have probably had sexual relationships with more than our spouse. That doesn't mean we're destined for hell. And it doesn't mean that we can't re, um, kind of uh, uh, renew ourselves in that way. But it does mean, and I do believe biblically, that this intention to co-create, to bond, and to know someone completely wasn't meant to be shared with multiple, uh, in, in, in um, multiple ways with multiple people. I think that's one of the problems that we have when we get married, uh, if we've been sexually active or been with a lot of people, we find it hard to really bond, to really connect, to really be vulnerable with someone because we have been for so many ways. And that act, which was supposed to be sacred and holy, has lost some of its stickiness.
Now, I, I'm going to use an example which I like using duct tape, which is a strong bond itself. <coughs> the act of sex is, is a very sacred and profound thing, and that first sexual encounter or that first sexual partner, it's really easy that first time you fall in love. It's really easy to fall in love. It's really easy to be taken up, and it's really easy to bond with and become vulnerable with uh, that, that person, even if it's, even if it's a short thing. But the more times we try to recreate that bond with the more different partners, the less it begins to stick, and the harder it becomes to be truly vulnerable to be truly bonded with an individual before too long, you're hardly, that duct tape, which was very sticky, is now just hanging on by a thread. Now, something else happens, interestingly enough, in this sexual world of ours. Whether you have a long-term relationship or a one-night stand, every time we share, and I believe this and I've seen this multiple times, uh, through friends, through my own experience, every s uh, sexual encounter we share connects us to someone and leaves a mark on us in a distinct way. And the more times we do that, the more of ourself is shared with someone else and the more we have someone else kind of imprinted on us. Just like that duct tape now is covered with pieces of this paper and this paper is removed pieces of itself for that duct tape, we can be lessened, spread thin, and it can be really hard to then connect with that spouse, that person that we feel we're meant to have this partnership, this helping relationship, this agape relationship with. <coughs> yes, I will not reiterate that, but thank you <coughs> for that insight, Todd. Now, I understand that the idea of saving yourself to marriage may not be popular anymore, but I believe as Christians and as parents, we need to at least uh, work towards that ideal and share that uh, in a world that does misuse uh, and, and abuse the act of sex almost every day. So that's the biblical ideal, and we could talk a lot about that. But I want to look at something um, uh, beyond that, and that's kind of the real situation because the ideals are not always what we live day to day. So I want to turn to Church of the Resurrection's a study of uh, 5,000 individuals. They studied 4,000 couples, uh, married individuals, excuse me. Uh, and to look at a couple things uh, that they found, um, focusing first on the quality of our sexual encounters, uh, second, the quantity of our sexual encounters, and then maybe some of the uh, correlations they made. Now the first question uh, that I want to explore has to do with um, a question that was asked from the participants to rate the sexual dimension of their relationship. And I think I have some slides for these. Yeah, thank you. About 25% of women in their 20s, 30s, and 40s, and 50s were dissatisfied with their um, sexual life or the sexual dimension of their relationship. That number dropped to about 20% uh, in women in their 60s and 70s. Men, on the other hand, in their 20s, shared that about 25%. In their 30s, 40s, and 50s, that rose to uh, over one-third of them 
being dissatisfied in their uh, sexual dimension in the relationship, and then that went back down to about a quarter. Now, <coughs> what does that say about men and women? What does that say about this study? Well, basically, it says about one quarter to one third of us are unhappy in this particular area in our relationship. So obviously, some of us need to work on it, and, and some of us need to understand what's going wrong. Now, here's some of the reasons that were listed for being dissatisfied. Uh, and, and you're going to be able to guess what some of them are. Women generally cited, these are the, the women in this study, being too tired, uh, a desire for non-sexual touch, uh, being bored in their love life, and I think interestingly enough, having teenagers. So teenagers, you know, back off your parents, apparently. <coughs> I, I, I can imagine that's the case. Men generally uh, cited, uh, in terms of why they were unhappy, a desire for more uh, sexual encounters and a wish that their partner would actively initiate or pursue them sexually. Of course, other reasons as uh, we increased in age, uh, such as menopause and prostate cancer, a lot of fun words I get to use tonight to make everybody uncomfortable, uh, were cited in couples 50 and over. And as you can imagine, couples in their 30s and 40s cited what as the primary issue? Yes. It's not teenagers, but the things that come before them. Yes, children. And uh, also stress from work. Excuse me. I, I heard a comedian recently say, sex and pizza have something in common. Even when they're bad, they're still pretty good. Okay, I'll let you do with that what you want. But pizza, now hold on, because we're going to jump back and forth between sex and food. So this is a dangerous section in the sermon tonight. <coughs> Just hang on. Pizza and a, a night at a five-star restaurant are very different. Pizza and a, a night of uh, preparing a nice meal for your family and friends is very different. Uh, and sometimes we think all of our sexual encounters uh, need to be amazing, need to be great. But we know that just can't be the case. Good sex takes work and a lot of preparation. Just like I've prepared, now again, we're switching back and forth, as I've prepared meals uh, for family and friends and large meals and large gatherings, and that took a lot, <coughs> a lot of time, a lot of preparation. You had to go shopping for all the ingredients. You had to make the menu. You had to spend hours cooking. You had to prepare your house. You had to get everybody there. You had to serve them. And Jennifer and I love doing that kind of thing. And the results for that kind of work and preparation are always usually amazing. But you don't do that every single night. You don't do that every time you eat. And sometimes, very truthfully, you just want McDonald's. But McDonald's and a five-star restaurant are different. And so we have to realize that the quality of our sexual lives will depend on the work and the effort that is put into it in what we do before, what we do after, what we do throughout the week, how we love our partners, how we show them love throughout the week, how we <coughs> honor them with that kind of agape love that we've been talking about. Now, the core survey also asked how frequently couples were intimate with their mates. Now, this is important because a lot of people think everyone else is having a lot more sex than they are. That's just not true. 
If you look, I put all of the 20-somethings here because if 20-somethings aren't having sex, then most of us aren't. That's what I believe. <coughs> yes, to each his own. But if you look at the 20-somethings in the survey, only 11% of them were having sex three or more times a week. 22% of them were having sex two or more times a week. Most of them, a third of them, were having sex one time a week. 21% of them were having sex twice a month. And then 11% were having sex. These are married couples, not individuals. Married couples. Having sex uh, less than um, once a month. Now, if you look into the other age groups, here's the reality. 80% were having sex uh, once a week or less. In 40s, it was about 45% were having sex once a week or less. Um, or 40, 45% were having sex once a week or more. 55% were having sex once a week or less. When you get to the 50s, it was about 50-50. When you get to the 60s, it was about 33% were having sex once a week or more. And when you got to the 70s, it was only 15% that were having sex once a week or more. Although, oddly, if you look at the survey data, um, for 50s or I think 40s, 50s, and 60s, nobody was having sex three times a week, but there was some pretty randy 70-year-olds. So should give you some hope <coughs> as, as we get up there in age, I guess, um, to each his own, as Todd said. <coughs> now, the survey, so we can have fun. The survey did find that there was a correlation between a couple's satisfaction and the frequency of their sexual encounters. Over half of the couples who reported to be very unhappy in their marriage, not in their sexual life, but just in their marriage, who, who checked, I am very unhappy, and this is of a scale, very unhappy, unhappy, neutral, happy, very happy. Half of them never had sex at all. Over half of those who said they were very happy, they had sex at least once a week. So there is perhaps a correlation. Now I want to turn to a couple of suggestions that Pastor Adam makes in his book that I think could help improve um, the sexual part of our relationship and uh, the sexual experience within our marriage. Most people think that uh, this, the sexual part of our relationship, this will come easy, this will be natural, this is just the easiest part of relationships, but the truth is it's not. It takes work to be intimate, it takes uh, risk and vulnerability to be intimate, and it's not always something that can just happen. So, <coughs> a couple tips, because we're always good at... yeah. I, I got to watch out back there with the euphemisms. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> the the peanut gallery back there. It's hard. It's hard. You have to watch what you uh, say when you're talking about sex. So the first um, suggestion, and I know this doesn't sound romantic or, or spontaneous, but is actually to schedule sexual encounters. Because as life goes on, we get busy and it becomes more difficult to, to actually have time where we can be intimate, especially if we have children and apparently teenagers, it gets worse. So the, the idea is to try to schedule time to decide as a couple how many encounters we need to have uh, on, on what regular basis to schedule those times. And then on those days that they've been scheduled, put the work and the effort into preparing the day, to honoring your spouse, to uh, doing things that honor them, and that those experiences will happen. 
That can also relieve some of the stress in terms of, well, is this going to happen, isn't going to happen. And it can also relieve the stress of um, individuals who um, are always worried about, well, this touch may lead to this, and you know, I just kind of want to be with my partner tonight. Yes, but we're, we're just giving some suggestions. If, if it was just good enough to say to each his own, then none of us would have problems. And unfortunately, about half of our marriages have problems, uh, or at least end in divorce. So uh, we need to work on it. That's why we're focusing on this. Now, the second um, suggestion is to see sex as part of the mission of marriage. If we truly seek to bless and encourage each other in our marriage to be this agape partnership, we can actually see sexual encounters and likewise non-sexual touch as a way to fulfill honoring and blessing our spouse. Now, in, in marriages, there's often a high desire and a low desire partner. One partner, and it's not always gender specific, but one partner who has uh, more desire for sexual encounters and one partner who has less desire for sexual, part, um, for sexual encounters. Now, if the low desire partner initiates a sexual encounter, that can bless their partner. Likewise, if a high desire uh, partner offers some non-sexual touch, hand-holding, cuddling, etc., to their partner without being a prelude to sex, they can bless their partner. Finally, the suggestion is to make these sexual encounters in our times of intimacy just fun. Uh, sometimes we get so, uh, so stressed out and so worked up about what sex should be that we forget sex is basically adult recess. It's a way for us to have fun with each other. Remember in the survey last week, almost everyone was looking to have fun with their partner. And truthfully, what's more fun than having an intimate time with your partner? Core survey uh, said many participants described their sex life as being boring. So be creative, put some time and energy into it. Uh, the book Love to Stay actually gives some examples I will not share with you tonight. Um, some things you can do to uh, maybe uh, help in that area. But I remind you that this should not be stressful. This should be fun. This should be something you and your partner uh, just can enjoy each other, enjoy your company, enjoy your presence. Now I want to turn to another scripture as we close tonight. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I think it's all on the screen there. The husband should meet his wife's sexual needs and the wife should do the same for her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does likewise. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not refuse to meet each other's needs unless you both agree for a short period of time to devote yourself to prayer. Then come back together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, sex has always been a problem in our world. And in the port city of Corinth, sex was a major issue. There was, in those days, prostitutes in the temples. There was uh, sex for sale. Of course, this was a port city. And as people in Corinth became Christian, they asked, well, should we stay away from sex at all? Should we just deny this of ourselves? Should we turn away from it? But Paul says, who was single himself, Paul says, no, that's ridiculous. This is a gift from God, and you should share in it. You should respect each other and love each other and give yourselves to each other to honor and bless one another. So this is just another way that we can share and truly be agape partners 
as we're looking to understand how to keep love in our relationship. Now, the core survey did a couple other things that I want to share as we close tonight. A couple things that I think are really worthy uh, in terms of their data. They found that couples who had more sex or who, who had sex more than once a week or once a week or more, excuse me, also went on dates regularly. They scheduled time to just go on dates together. They found that couples who had sex once a week or more spent 30 minutes of conversation with each other instead of the average of 15 minutes of conversation with each other each day. And here's, here's where new life comes in. 80% of couples who had sex once or more a week attended church together. So you're welcome. <laughs> Everybody who's here tonight. Well, 80% of you. <laughs> I know this isn't a simple topic. I know it can be difficult to discuss. But, <coughs> but I do encourage you, uh, in your relationship, be open and honest about what you feel, uh, what your desires are. Be open to yourself. Be honest with yourself about what you're feeling. Be honest with your partner about how they're feeling. And I hope, when it's appropriate, be honest with your children. Don't get to that point where you're having an awkward conversation with your 17-year-old. It's too late at that point. Or 13-year-old or 10-year-old. I don't know. It's getting pretty bad some days. <coughs> Wrap it up, Jamie says. Wrap it up. But I do most of all. Hope that we in the church can share how meaningful, how precious, and how sacred this gift of sexual intimacy is with all of those who we look to disciple and especially our hurting and our needy world. Amen. Oh, yes, I will. I will move that. Thank you. You're going to move that. Thank you. Well, let's transition tonight to our forwarding time. As we do, I, again, thank you. I encourage you to come on uh, Wednesday. We'll talk a little bit more about this. Next week, we're going to get, I, we've, I know this is a serious topic today, um, but we can have fun with it. Uh, next week, we're going to get into some of the more difficult things in marriage, those things that don't go well, that hurt and that pain that we cause each other. So I encourage you to be here uh, a, a little less joking next week but uh, a very important topic. So I uh, thank you. encourage you to get the book, Love to Stay. Some great stuff in there for couples, for single individuals, for those who are looking to be married. Uh, great information for all of you. So let's have a word of prayer now, remembering those who are not with us, uh, remembering those in need as we transition to the third part of our worship experience. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather here tonight. We ask that you truly bless us in all that we do. We ask that you just bless our relationships, that those who are part of new life, who are married, may be strengthened in their marriage, that those who are single may be strengthened in their singleness, that those who are dating may be strengthened in their relationship, that those who are confused where they are or don't know may be strengthened wherever they are. We ask that we may all, regardless of our status, regardless of married or single, that we may truly be witnesses to all those in our world who need to see what a positive relationship looks like, who need to see what a positive marriage looks like, 
positive parenting looks like, positive brother and sisterhood in Christ Jesus looks like. We ask that you be with all of those who aren't here tonight from our community. Just bless them wherever they are. We ask that you be with all of those who join us across this globe, that you bless them this week. Be with all of those who have to work in this cold and weather. Bless them for being out there when we're staying at home. Lord, we just ask that you continue to be with our homeless community, especially the thousands of homeless children across this nation. Help our churches, and if we know, help us find shelter for those who have none. We ask that you be with all of those who lead and serve. Make us servant leaders in all that we do. Most of all, Lord, we ask that you be with your church. Make us one as you are one. Make us a light to this world. Make us your kingdom here on earth. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.